All right, everyone. Welcome to episode two of No Pun Intended. We have a packed show today. We have Magnus Carlsen news, big news. We have Ding Liren's return to chess. We have a course announcement, and we have Matt's top 25 book recommendations, his favorite reads over the past several years. But first, let's start out with some terrible chat GPT chess puns. Okay, so we have a No Pun Intended podcast we're only human, right? We only have so many puns, but our lovely friend ChatGPT came up with a list of absolutely miserable, inexcusable chess puns, and we are going to read them to you now so everyone can feel secure about their job. Uh, <laughs> do you have it up, Matt? Yes, I do. All right, you take the first one. Am I doing the question, you do the answer, or we each do one key and one A? <laughs> Let's just do a Q&A. Okay, so what did you prompt this with? <laughs> I think I said, like, give me your five best, I think I said best uh, chess puns. And this is what it came up with. So okay, AI is, is going to take over the world and this is why. All right, number one question. What do you call an insect that likes to play chess? Answer, a chess knight beetle. A chest knight beetle. Okay. Um, okay. Number two. Why are chess players great at the bar? Answer: Because they all uh, because they always have some good moves. <laughs> That's actually the best one. That's not bad. <laughs> Just laughing at the chat. Oh Number man, it's terrible. Number three. What's a chess player's favorite musical? Less diagonals. It's like it's like barely lame is wrong, like barely, but not okay. Number four, why did the chess game end in a draw? Answer: Because the players were evenly matched. <laughs> that's not a pun. That's just a statement of fact. Okay, okay number five is one. my favorite. My favorite. Okay, I'll you do the answer. I'll do the question. Okay, Matt, how do you know if a chess player is a vegetarian? They always start with E4, E5, never with meat. And there you have it, folks. Uh, our jobs are safe. That was absolute garbage. Chat G and this is the pro chat GPT you're paying for it? Uh, yeah, this is chat GPT 4. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, in the chat, much better answer. <laughs> How do you know they're not a vegetarian? They, or they are a vegetarian. They never pre play the fried liver. Much better. Much better. I like Josh's answer. They're Ben Feingold. <laughs> oh, yeah. Isn't he a, a vegetarian or something? I can't remember. I think vegan. I think he's vegan even. Vegan. Okay. Impressive. Sure. Alrighty. Um, let's head over to Matt's 25 book recommendations for 2024. So this is some chess books, but a lot of non-chess books. A lot of just like overall build a good life book. Um, you ready, Matt? I'm going to put you on the spot and you're going to have to defend your picks. Yep. Bring them on up. All right. Let's go. Number one. Uh, actually, you have to be split into categories. So first category, productivity and person personal effectiveness. Number one, a book that I highly agree with, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, yeah. So I think, um, I mean, I will say like you're always learning things and I have don't implement very many things from these books, but 
this list was filtered down from a list of about 80 books that I'd tracked that I'd read. Um, and these were kind of my highest ranked books. So I like Atomic Habits, just the idea of trying to reduce bad habits, increase good habits. Um, you know, I think a lot of productivity is about just building habits and same with chess, um, like building a study habit. Yeah, one of our best uh, blog posts of all time is how to build an atomic chess habit. And that's taken basically straight from James Clear's formula, a cue. I, f I forget the actual formula right now, but um, you like have to cue yourself. You have to like do it. You reward yourself, something like that, and just kind of get in this habit loop. Um, and that is actually uh, an email we send if you sign up for our emails. Um, so if you go to chesskills.com, you can get our, you know, emails. And that is one that is a big hit. A lot of people like that one. Um, number two book, Productivity and Personal Habits, a book that I have read several times, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Love that book. Um, at least for me, I think productivity is all about deep work and not being interrupted. Yeah, it's so hard to do. Uh, but with chess, I think it maps really well because you can sit down with a chessboard, eliminate all your distractions and really just spend like a couple hours really studying uh, without any, I don't know, without any distractions. I think it really boils down to that. Um, I read that book every time I start a new job or like anytime I need a little reset. Um, number three, same author, Digital Minimalism. Kind of goes along with the same idea. You know, I think the, our phones especially are the most distracting things in our lives. I mean, think back to like pre-cell phone era or before phones were smartphones. And it's just like life was pretty simple. You know, like a distraction would be someone calling you on the regular phone or like your TV. Right. But now we got notifications um, and it's pretty insane. Like some people's phones are just constantly binging and buzzing and flashing and I don't know how you get anything done then. Yeah. Um, books four and five by the same author. Uh, book number one is Effortless. And book number two is Essentialism by Greg McCown. McCown? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Yeah, those books I like a lot, but I'd say they're probably like the least impactful on the list. But essentially, do what matters and make it easy. That's how I'd summarize both of those. <laughs> yeah, very, very good. And yeah, Essentialism is similar to Deep Work. But it tells you like to focus on the most important thing and only what's essential rather than like, you know, spinning your wheels on something not important. I think that's really important as like chess goals co-owners because there's a million things we could be doing. Yeah. And so we got to focus on like what's going to actually move the needle. Uh, next book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I listened to this book on audiobook, like one of my first ever audible purchases, probably 10 years ago. Yeah, this one, I think uh, I read this before Atomic Habits, really loved it. It was the first book where I read read it and I was like, oh, I could make some changes in my life. I think it was like one of the very first books like that. Um, but now I would say like the overlap with Atomic Habits is so great. You could just pick one of the two. Yeah. Um, next up is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, iconic book by Stephen Covey. Um, I have listened to this one. I didn't really care for it that much, but I think it was just the auto audible format. Um, but I remember reading it way back in high school. This is like a, a pivotal book in America, I feel like. Yeah, this one, um, you know, it's kind of similar to a lot of the books we've already mentioned. There's so much overlap, but 
the big takeaway I have from this book is I actually made like a daily schedule. I print out a landscape version of a daily schedule every single week. And I fill it in with like what things are important, what my schedule is for the week. And it really helps me prioritize like, okay, these are the things I need to get done. Just big map view. Um, that's what I like about it. And I just, yeah, again, focus on the things that matter the most. You'll have to like tweet out a picture of a sample week or something like that. That'd be fun to see. Yeah, I could do that. All right. That rounds it up for productivity and personal effectiveness. So let's go over them one more, once more. Atomic Habits by James Clear, Deep Work and Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, Effortless and Essentialism by Greg McCown, or however you say it, Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Three habits books. Interesting. All right. Financial Well-Being and Investment. I think I read all of uh, three of the four. First one, I'll just go through them all. Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. The Bogleheads Guide to Investing by a bunch of people. <laughs> your Money or Your Life, Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez. And The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley and William Danko. The Simple Path to Wealth. If you had to sum it up, just basically do index funds. <laughs> yeah, 100% um, index funds, pretty much total U.S. stock market if you live in the U.S. And just, yeah, like kind of like Netflix and chill, VTSAX and chill, I think is what he says in the book. <laughs> yeah, what I appreciate about this book, and it's been a few years since I've read it, but he just, he says like, listen, we're not going to break any records here. We're not going for 18% returns. We're just going to do very simple stuff, not worry about it and hang out just enjoy enjoy what we have um a, a book similar to this is i'm gonna butcher the title uh like the theory of money or something by morgan housel do you remember that book psychology of money yeah psychology of money that's what it is so very similar book and next is the bogle heads guide to investing this is more of a deep dive into um what to invest in a lot of a lot of uh index funds in that book as well right Yep, just kind of keeping it simple. Index funds, um, buy and hold, dollar cost average, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, this is Matt's list, and we are just now getting to the first book that I have not read, Your mm -hmm. Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez. What's that about? Um, that's an older financial independence book. So it's kind of like the precursor to Simple Path to Wealth, I would say. You know, it's okay. just sort of... Uh, along those same lines, like how to retire early, financial independence, that stuff. And lastly, The Millionaire Next Door. I really like this one. I read it probably five, six years ago, maybe a little more. Um, but yeah, I feel like millionaire status is like some like other tier, but it's really like very normal people who just like pay off their house and invest in their 401k. That's like most people who are millionaires. Mm-hmm. All right, that's financial being an investment. We'll go over all these at the end. Uh, work and communication. A World Without Email by Cal Newport. His third entry, which could be a record. I have not read this one. This one, I need to reread. It's been a while, but it was just pretty fascinating. You know, he says to do more like team huddles and things like that, just like real quick meetings each day instead of sending emails and like, oh, I'll get back to you later. You get back to me and blah, blah, blah. Like the idea of just eliminating emails completely sounds amazing. But I think in practice, it's really hard to do unless like somehow your whole team was on board. It's like you get rid of email, but then you use Slack for everything. It's like <laughs> right, yeah. you have to communicate somehow. 
right. Uh, second and final one in more work and communication, building a story brand by Donald Miller, one that we have taken really to heart at Jazz Schools. Uh, you could probably summarize that one better than me. How would you summarize that? Yes, building a story brand. It's a it's a it's a book written uh, to business owners about basically how to talk to people who are interested in your company, and it is basically summarized where we're saying the customer or the person reading the site, everything is about them because they don't care about you. <laughs> Uh, they care about them. They care about what they can do for themselves. So like all of our courses, we could market as like, look how hard we work to build these courses. Uh, but it's really like, that doesn't matter. It's like learn an opening in four hours, learn a whole opening and you never have to worry about it ever again. And you're going to get good results for the rest of your life. <laughs> like that's all you need to know. Um, Self-improvement and psychology. I have read... Uh, one of these books, first, I have not read this top one, though, The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker. Is that how you say it? Uh, yeah, I have not finished this book, I should say. I was reading it, but then one of my library books was available, so I just put it aside for now. But what I like about that book is essentially it says, like, your brain is super powerful. So if you think positive, you can actually, like, give yourself better chances, I think, to achieve positive outcomes. Um, and this is something that I've always kind of believed in, but the book sort of like goes deeper into it. Um, so I haven't finished the book. I'm only probably like a quarter of the way through, but so far I really like it. All right. And How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yeah, this book, um, it's kind of an iconic book. And I think the main takeaway is like really focus on other people more than yourself. Like, it's, I think the title's a little clickbaity, you know, before the world of clickbait even existed. It's yeah, like how to time. trick people. But essentially, it's like just keeping you aware that you should be interested in what's going on in other people's lives um, and not just talk about yourself. Yeah, that is one book that I feel like the principles are there, but it is so dated in its actual examples. And small-minded me, I cannot get past it. <laughs> and so I did not appreciate that book, but I do think it's a good one. Okay, sport and fitness, at the line pickleball, winning doubles pickleball strategy. Matt is on a pickleball kick. Yes. Uh, I don't know how deep you want me to go into that book, but essentially it's got math. It's got stats, percentages. What? Yes. This oh, dude, Matt is hooked. Matt this, is hooked. This dude analyzed like hundreds of hours of pickleball video and created percentages. So he'll be like, oh, the pros land their serve in this spot. When these people return, if they're standing here, you should hit this spot. This shot works a certain percentage of time at this level, this percent at a different level, blah, 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 blah. It's You can't really make an analogy to chess, but it's almost like here's the best openings. When they do this opening, you should do this opening. But it's like it's more dominant. You know, in chess, it's not so clear. Like, oh, if they play E4, you must play Sicilian. Like, it's, mm -hmm. The stats are way more obvious. It'd probably be like, how to win crazy house, right? Where there's like really good paths for white and that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Next book. This book is the one book that has changed my life more than any other book. I think I've ever read Matt. 80, 20 running run stronger and faster by training slower with Matt Fitzgerald. What? Uh, yeah, I, I love this book. I would have never run a half marathon or a marathon if it weren't for this book teaching me that it's okay and 
preferable to just run slow. <laughs> yeah. So Jesse recommended me this book um, when we were prepping for our half marathon. I think you should summarize it though, Jesse. Like, what's the rundown on the book? The vast majority of people who go out for a run train way too hard and they try to ramp up their mileage way too fast. And that's where you get the stat where like 50 to 75% of runners get hurt every single year. Um, the truth is that if you treat running like a skill and really practice your skill and you ramp up slowly and go slow, you are going to get faster in the long run. It's much better for your knees, for your ankles, your legs, and your whole body can just adapt to the process of running much, much smoother. And the key to that is to have, so the title's 80-20 running. So 80% of your running is in what we call like zone two easy miles. That's going to be, you can go for a run like me and Matt, when we were uh, training for the half marathon together, so this is like almost a year ago, um, we would go for runs and just run around a lake and talk about chess goals for, you know, sometimes an hour and a half, two hours. Um, but you should be able to talk. You should be able to have a conversation the whole time. In general, like very quick uh, math. Uh, sorry, I'm going like super into nerd running right now. But you no take problem. 100. You take 180 minus your age. I'm 34, so you get 146. <laughs> and so when I'm running, I know I need to keep my heart rate under 146. Matt, you want to give your age? 38. So be 142. <laughs> 142 yeah so i just try to keep keep it in like the 140 range so i try not to go over it and then uh your 20 uh so that's 80 percent, and your 20 should be kind of anything into zone three and above so uh, maybe like four minute sprint four minute rest or you know a mile on mile walk something like that anything to really get your heart rate up I honestly probably do like 90-10 or 95-5 at this point because I'm not really training for anything. So I just do a lot of those slow zone two miles running. Right now it's on the treadmill because we are in Minnesota and it is zero degrees out and pitch black until like 9 a.m. Um, but that book has really got me hooked on running. I've been running pretty consistently for about a year and a half now and I have not been hurt. That was always my number one uh kind of go-to goals and not get hurt and just kind of keep grinding away on it. Um, I'm sure. I was going to say, do you find the book kind of makes you think of 80-20 for other things as well outside of running? Like, Oh, oh yeah, big time. Like, what's the 80-20 of chess study? I don't know. What's the 80-20 of building a business? You know, hard to say. I don't know. Well, um, 80-20 yeah, of so chess study, play, I'd say play 80%, study 20 yeah, that's a great that's a great rule of thumb right there. There you have it. Um, all right, we have a few miscellaneous uh, like topics. Well, or uh, not topics, but book categories. We can go through these a little quicker, and then we'll get to the chess recommendations. Okay. Philo philosophy and Stoicism. So the Daily Stoic, uh, three hundred sixty-six meditations, wisdom, perseverance, art of living. Uh, by Marcus Aurelius. I haven't really read that book. Um, next. The Tipping Point, A Little Things Can Make a Big Difference by Malcolm Gladwell. I highly recommend anything Malcolm Gladwell writes. He is a fantastic writer, especially his older stuff, like Tipping Point, um, Blink, Outliers. Those are like classic books. And then Build, An Unorthodox Guide to Making Things Worth Making by Tony Fidel. I read this book. I don't remember anything about it. 
Uh, yeah, I need to review it too. <laughs> I don't remember much. <laughs> Good books though. I remember liking it, but I can't. I just can't remember what it was about. I know oh. that he he built Nest, right? I believe that's right. Yeah. Um, I just thought of a tip though. We already trashed on Chat GPT. One thing that I love Chat GPT for though is summarizing old books that I read. Like oh, you nice. just tell Chat GPT, like, give me five actionable takeaways from whatever book, or give me the summary of this book. Then you can drill down on a chapter because any book, it pretty much knows the full summary. That's awesome. Yeah, especially older books. Newer ones could be a, a bit harder. Yeah. All right. We have now five chess recommendations from National Master Matt Jensen. Number one, Calculation and Grandmaster Preparation by Jacob Agard. Uh, tell me about that one, man. Oh, it's on my desk. Um, this one I like because it's sort of like higher level calculation stuff. And it teaches you different uh, forms of calculation, like candidate moves and prophylactic thinking and so on. Really good book. Pretty high level, though. Would you recommend like a rating range to read that? I would say like an ambitious 1600 or higher, but realistically, you could even say like 2000 and higher. Okay. So tough book there, probably a bit over my head. Next book, one that... I have been putting off for a long time and I really should get how to reassess your chess chess mastery through chess imbalances iconic book again Jeremy Silman I think everyone knows this one yep people uh, either love that book or hate it I love it I think uh, anyone like 1400 all the way up to 2000 should definitely at least try reading it and see if you like it because um, it can really help your strategic chess it kind of just gives you a framework to how to think about positions um uh pump up your rating by axel smith very good book um i would say it's more for like 2000 plus but it, it focuses on takeaways the woodpecker method analyzing your own games uh how to study openings end games so on so it's a chess improvement book but a little more advanced i would say than like what we recommend for the average club player so probably 2000 plus again yep and next two, we have been recommending at Chess Goals from the very beginning, I think. Uh, number one, Silman's Complete Endgame Course. Great selling point of this book is that it's by rating. So anywhere from, I don't know, maybe like starting at 1,000 or so all the way up to, how's it go? Like 2,200, 2,400? Yep. It, goes pretty, it goes pretty high, but um, whatever rating you are, you can just go until you hit your rating and then stop because you, you don't need to know the rest. <laughs> and then as you keep going, uh, the book lives on. You can keep keep moving up. And, and last, oh, sorry, go for it. I'm just going to add one thing on that book. I always recommend going one rating band above your rating and then you can stop. So if you're class B, learn all the class A stuff and then you can stop. And lastly, the woodpecker method. Been recommending this one for a long, long time. Woodpecker method, um, the puzzles themselves, I don't think are anything special. The puzzles come from like world championship games and they just categorize them like easy, intermediate, hard. But the method itself, I think, is really good. Um, there's obviously different ways to study puzzles. If you go on like leechesschess.com, you'll get them at random. Woodpecker method is solve them in order. So you can take a batch of puzzles, like 200 of them, let's say, solve them one through 200 track how many you get right and then just do it again one through 200 and do it again and do it again and you might think like well isn't it better to have a whole bunch of different puzzles but the idea is 
you get really, really good at all 200 of those. And then you get a new batch of puzzles and do the same process. And it's going to start to form your intuition of like, okay, all of these types of positions, I automatically know what to do because I've done the same puzzle so many times. Yeah, I'm pretty. So this is a, a book that's on Chessable, and they like redid a ton of their uh, like algorithms to support the woodpecker method. Yeah, and I remember um, Kostya. Uh, I shouted him out in episode one too, but he did like an eight-hour stream after he after he studied the book for a long time. He did an eight-hour stream just like going through the entire book, and he basically remembered almost every problem. He he solved it with like a over a ninety-nine percent accuracy. Wow. which is yeah which is crazy he really like showed his im class with that i was uh i was shocked when he got 99 plus percent well you know that's what the guy in the book did so i don't remember no. if he did the exact puzzles that he shows in the book but his first time through it was something insane he spent like 20 hours or 16 hours straight doing puzzles and then the next time it was like 14 hours and then 12 hours but the first i mean he was spending full days just doing puzzles without a break <laughs> crazy yeah um all right that are those are matt's book recommendations i was all 25 thank you for sharing uh matt initially shared that in our discord which you can be a part of with any chess schools purchase um yes yeah, so let's go to magnus news how about that magnus carlson has officially withdrawn from the candidates he is not playing I can't say I'm surprised, but I'm a little, I think we're all disappointed. Yeah, I I think um, there's much bigger questions here. And I think Magnus is on to something in terms of like changing how the world championship is decided. You know, it's, there's a history to having like world championship matches and qualifying with the candidates. And I think a lot of players really appreciate the history of it, but we want to keep chess popular. We want to bring in new players. And honestly, like the format of the 14 game world championship match is a snooze fest most of the time. Like people do not want to watch it. So I think they need to figure something else out. Yeah. I almost wonder if Magnus is going to start his own like FIDE. Like it's just going to be something completely other than FIDE and something way more fun. I don't know. Um, official statement from FIDE Chess on Twitter Magnus Carlson withdraws from the two. Canada 2024 spot. The spot goes to Nijat Abasov, who I do not, I'm not familiar with. Um, so the vacant spot at the FIDE Canada's tournament will go to the highest finisher in the final FIDE World Cup standings, which was uh, Nijat from Azerbaijan, who finished fourth at the tournament. So we have the official lineup. Jan Napomniachi, 2023 world champion runner-up, uh, probably could have won. Uh, Ragnananda out of Indi India is in it. Uh, Fabiano, Nijat, Vidit Gujarathi, Hikaru Nakamura, Ali Reza Faruja, and Gakesh D. This is a quite loaded crowd. Um, I am very excited for these guys. Who do you think has the, I don't know, who are you pulling for? Who do you think has the, the edge here? Um, yeah, so I think Fabiano and Hikaru have been on a tear. One thing that I like to look at in terms of like who's the strongest player in the world is recent performances. So if you look at like the rating list, that's essentially the same thing, but it's a little bit of a lagging indicator over just like how they did in the last year. 
because if you're already started high, you'll just drop a little if you do bad and vice versa, whatever. Hikaru and Fabiano have both performed at the 2800 level for 2023, for the whole year in classical chess. That's higher than Magnus, and it's higher than any other players. They essentially tied for first for the year. So I think it's very exciting to see those two in the field. Um, I think Pragananda is going to be like, I mean, he's already a big deal, but I think he's going to be like the next junior that really makes his mark where it's like, okay, this guy is super good and he's going to be challenging for the world title. So he's kind of like my wild card pick, I would say. Like, I would not be surprised if Pragananda snuck in and won. Um, and then Napomniachi, obviously, like, he's been super strong. I would say for a long time now, he has been number two in the world after Magnus. Like, he's consistently right up there. Um, so I would put him around third, probably, favorite, with Pragananda being my wild card and the two Americans uh, one and two. Hmm, interesting. Okay, I'll give my rankings. Um, I think most likely to win is Fabi. Um, he's been 2,800 for a long time. I think it's just a matter of time before he gets another shot. He's He just seems to have a slight edge over everybody. Um, number two, I'm going to go Jan. Uh, he has a lot of candidate experience. He's won the last two. Um, so number one, Fabi. Number two, Jan. Number three, I'm going to go Naka, but I don't love it. <laughs> Um, I kind of just get the feeling like he's a bit overperformed the last you know, year. I mean, his results speak for themselves, but um, I feel like a little regression is due there. And I kind of put everyone else last. Like, I don't really see Prague, Najat, Vidit, Ali Reza, Gakesh. I just don't really see them winning. I just, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't quite, I don't know. I can't imagine a scenario where one of them wins. I think Prague is maybe circuit or two too early same with Gakesh and Faruja I'm not sure really even wants to be there <laughs> yeah I think that's a really good take Jesse I mean Fabiano and, and Napomniachi have proven they can do it and that's huge yep and in other world championship news Ding Liren is back and playing he's playing in is it Tata Steel is that right who is that Ding Liren yeah you maybe haven't heard of him he he started playing chess not too long ago, but uh, he's he's playing in a big tournament called Tata Steel. Have you have you heard of Ding Liren? Ling Duren, how do you spell it? No, it's Ding Liren. You have it backwards. Ding Liren. <laughs> no, hold the face any longer. <laughs> he yeah, he is from China. Uh, yeah, he has been very very quiet since winning the World Chess Championship. If I remember right, he played some tournament right after. And like kind of didn't do anything, but he has not played since. Uh, <laughs> yeah, ask Chad GTP who Dingley Ren is. Um, but he is back and playing in uh, Tata Steel, and he actually just lost to Prague. And Prague became the India the India number one rated player, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, he did beat Gukesh, uh, but he's down about three and a half rating points in four games. So slightly underperforming so far no cool well i hope that we get a good match between ding and whoever wins uh last match was crazy <laughs> i think there was i didn't remember but there was a ton of decisive games uh yan kind of had it in the bag and let it slip so that was kind of sad yeah i think yan would 
probably be a more active world champion. I know it's not saying much, but I think he would also be a more exciting world champion than Ding Liren. You know, Ding Liren wins the championship and then just goes into hiding. And kind of going back to like what's exciting in the sport and what keeps people interested. I don't think, you know, fans are really excited about top level chess when the world championship just stops playing world champion. Yeah, and I feel like he's been dealing with some kind of sort of illness, whether it be like mental illness or like some physical ailment or something. He made a statement saying like, yeah, I'm much better now, much better than I was, you know, a while ago. I'm back basically like, let's go. I'm ready to defend my belt, <laughs> defend my uh, title. Um, time control in the FIDE candidates, very weird. Uh, basically every other tournament in FIDE, has a increment starting on move one, but not the candidates. They have, I've, so I'm, I might get it wrong here, but they have 120 minutes for the first 40 moves. And after that, I think they get an additional 30 minutes and a 30 second increment starting at move 41. Uh, is that right, Matt? Something like that. Yeah, this is something where I think they should keep moving a little bit faster, too. Um, I think game 90. Game 90 plus 30 for the whole game, I think, is pretty good. Like, that's kind of a sweet spot. Yeah, I think so too. Those those are the the formats where you get more of the well-rounded like very strong chess players. Like Magnus would dominate if it was just straight up game 90. I think Magnus would be 2900. Uh he'll get everyone in time control or time trouble. I guess maybe Jan could play really well. Um but yeah, I think shorter with it still being very much classical. Like you got to have you got to be able to make a 25 minute think at some point. Um, and I do, time I do control. think they're they're moving that direction slowly. They they are getting faster, but it could they could even ramp it up. I think. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say time control in the women's FIDE candidates is ninety with a thirty second ninety plus thirty time control. So ninety minutes, thirty second uh, increment throughout. I like that a lot. Um, apparently, there was some drama behind that, but that's just what the women voted for, and so. Uh, no drama there. That's just what they wanted. So we were just talking about how much we, we wish that was the time control. So that's, that's great. I'm, I'm on, on board with it. And I think they trimmed off 30 minutes from what I could tell. I think they were getting a bonus. The women were getting a bonus on move 40 Okay. where they get an additional 30 minutes. So it was like 90 minutes to start the game, add 30 at move 40 with 30 second increment throughout. So I think they just essentially chopped off like an hour for games that were going past move 40. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Next up, a chess goals course announcement. But before we do that, please give this video a like and subscribe. It helps us out a ton. This is episode two, and we would love to be actual podcasters, not pretend podcasters. Um, any support uh, we love. If you watch on Spotify, you can give us a rating. We really like it. We appreciate you guys. And, uh, What do you want to say about the chess goals course? Drop it, Matt. James did an awesome job on the newest chess goals course. So he created the Nimzo Indian course. And now we have a part two, which is the Queen's Indian. And these two courses go together. Queen's Indian course is when players don't play knight c3 on move three, when they play knight f3. But then we also have a chapter on the Catalan. Um, you can go on the chess goals website 
and you can see a free preview of the Nimzo Indian course. We have the whole chapter one on there. We will very shortly have the Queen's Indian course published. And if you're on our email list, you'll get an email about it. And we'll have a preview chapter of that as well. Uh, but I highly recommend it. So I kind of act as like the student in those courses. And James teaches uh, the different strategies and things. And he's play tested all of these lines and thoroughly researched them. Um, so I'm very excited for this course to launch. Yeah, me too. And especially given that James has twins, <laughs> uh, very impressive that he was able to finish MVP. Uh, yeah, thank you, James, for taking this one by the horns. We will have a, an official course release, I don't know, sometime maybe in the next week or so, something like that. Yeah. And we'll uh, stay tuned for a coupon. We will for sure throw that in as well. Um, If you are listening to the podcast episode, Please know that we are live on YouTube, so you won't see the last like little blooper where uh, Matt thought the stream froze, even though it didn't. But if you want to get the full, unadulterated, unabridged podcast, you can watch live, and then we touch it up and edit a little bit after, and you can uh, get like the I don't even know the the polished podcast after in your podcast feed. I have one small topic I could add. Okay, go for it. What are your thoughts? on heels in chess like thinking of wwe or ufc do you like that type of character in the chess world do you think we need more of them none of them good amount. i think we need i think we need way more of them i think we need people who aren't afraid to just talk trash and do something silly just to do something silly i'm thinking of hans uh i mean clear chess heel but yes i think uh anytime you kind of make make some noise in the chess world get people entertained it's a good thing yeah i agree you know i think uh did you see that clip from the puzzle championship where hans beat hikaru did you see that no i didn't see it so hans beat hikaru in one of the qualifying rounds and hikaru like ended his stream right after that nice and hikaru ends his streams with saying like bye bye everyone and like does some kind of wave or something like that well, Hans is watching that stream of Hikaru, like, bye-bye, everyone. And he's like, bye-bye, bye-bye, like, mocking him. It's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> that is great. Yeah, that's the exact thing we need. Um, yeah, I like I like it in uh, UFC. We mentioned earlier that we're, like, UFC fans. But I like when there's someone who's just kind of silly in the UFC. And, like, I think of Colby Covington. Like, mm -hmm. everyone kind of knows he's playing a character. He's just, like turning his own personality up to like 14 from like a four or whatever. And uh, it's just entertaining. Like, and what's great is he can back it up to it. Like it's obviously a very good fighter as well. Yeah. Maybe we just have uh, Hikaru and Hans fight each other in a cage. What do you think about that? Who would you pick? UFC I need to rules. know. UFC rules. <laughs> I think, I mean, didn't Naka get choked out already by Eric Hansen or something? <laughs> I don't think he tapped. I think the video quit before he tapped. Yeah, maybe he reversed it or something. Um, I think, uh, I don't know, Naka probably seems bigger. I'd take Naka over Hans. Naka's pretty small guy. Short yeah. and skinny. I don't know. Well, I guess you can't, uh, you can't cheat in UFC. You got to stand up there. <laughs> it's all, all comes down to who's stronger. Uh, okay, I'm just kidding, guys. I don't think... I mean, he's probably not cheating. He might be. I don't know. Uh, okay, last thing I wanted to show before I get ourselves canceled. Uh, how about this amazing...
Here comes the bishop. It's going Road. to take the rook in the corner. Bro did a trick shot. Yeah, wait for it. Wait for it. Boom, free rook. Hold up. Bam. <laughs> oh, man, I love that so much. So, you know, the first time you showed me this, Jesse, I was like so wowed by it. But then you know what it reminded me of? Your okay. amazing card tricks. <laughs> I right? have... I have okay card tricks. <laughs> no, they're they're pretty good. I mean, I watched you do it right in front of me trying to figure it out. I had no clue what you're doing. What makes uh, your card tricks work so well? Deception. <laughs> uh, there's one trick. There's some like weird math thing where like if you shuffle the cards in a certain way, the card, the card that you pick always ends in the right spot. And then the rest is just kind of like pretending the other person is picking the card when you're really deciding it. Put that in the notes. Next podcast, you're doing your card trick for the stream. <laughs> I don't know if you can pick your favorite trick. of the two. Put that in the notes. The two? I only know one. Well, you did two. Um, oh, but, okay, yeah. But here is my thought when I was thinking about that thing later because I rewatched that video. Chess pieces can be weighted or unweighted. Mm -hmm. Play that video back again and watch how that queen lands. I gotta find it again. That's at least a triple weighted queen. Now, would you be impressed if someone had a water bottle with a big old lead weight in the bottom and they flipped it and it landed on its bottom? Probably. Well, would you <laughs> if it's weighted though, it's gonna land on the, the weight at the bottom, right? I mean, Look at how this seem... queen rolls at the end. She's probably extra yeah. weighted just for this video. Yeah. And if we're gonna analyze, look, that pawn is unnaturally launched. Like, look at this. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. That could be CGI. I don't know. Yeah. I hate I hate to call him out, but that queen wants to be upright. That's all I can say. Like that's not yeah. just a standard queen. It's almost magnetic. It could be magnetic. <laughs> yeah, that's probably magnetic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those uh magnet boards or whatever. All right. I think that's gonna do it. Thanks for joining everybody. Thank you, Matt, for co-hosting. No pun intended, episode two. We made it through a lot. Thanks, everybody.